You're listening to episode 42 of the Empath Podcast. Welcome back to the Empath Podcast. I'm your host, Robin, from the Diary of an Empath.com. And today's episode is so appropriate for the season that we're in and transitioning into because it is all about death and the dying process. Today's episode is a coffee chat. So it's with Jess. Jess came into my world a few years ago. Her work was physically killing her. And through our work together, she was able to shed, although she'll say it wasn't a graceful shed, that identity, that corporate identity, and step into her soul's work, her life's work, which is death work and being a death doula. We're both Tauruses, so we are here to communicate and talk and use our throat chakras. So the episode is a bit long, but I highly encourage you to listen to every moment of it because there is so much value in everything we're talking about, and there's a lot of sisterhood. So if you're feeling lonely and going through your death processes, whether it's the death of a loved one and you're currently going through the grieving process, or it's the death of yourself, Because you're realizing that who you want to be requires you can't take parts of you with you anymore. I know there's so much for you within this episode. And something else I want to point out is this conversation couldn't be more appropriate for us leading into empaths and business. Traditionally, I run the program spring and fall. And a pattern I noticed is that in the fall, we are in Scorpio season. That's what we're coming into. That is the season of the eighth house. That is the death and rebirth process. And what I noticed in the fall round of Empaths and Business is that that's what we do. It is a major, major clear out in order for the students to let go of so much that doesn't serve. Because this round of Empaths and Business is running during a Mercury retrograde, Mercury is all about how we think. And it's a Mercury retrograde in Scorpio. And Scorpio is all about what's underneath, what's lurking, what's shadowy. And so I can already feel so much healing that's going to happen around our thinking processes. How we think about ourselves, how we think about the world, how we think about others, and how that relates to business and whether or not we're reaching our goals. Also interesting, Scorpio is across the zodiac from Taurus. And I've also been getting the feeling that this round is heavily rooted in the mother wound. So Taurus is the empress energy. She, along with cancer, embodies a lot of the mother maternal. And Scorpio being the opposite and what's underneath is we're going to go deep into the mother wound. Why do we self-sacrifice? Why do we not put ourselves first? Why do we hesitate? Why do we not see ourselves as powerful? as women and mothers of these products and offers that we're being called to put out into the world. So this episode is just such a beautiful leeway into the energy of this round of empaths and business, that death and dying that has to happen for you to transform and see yourself as the gifted healer and creative that you are. 
So without further ado, let's dive in to today's episode. So Jess, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I am Jessica Reese. I am a death doula for people and pets, and I specialize in grief, loss, and I'm an empath. <laughs> Which is your your Instagram name, very appropriate. Yes, death empath, <laughs> simple. How did you come <laughs> up with it? Um, so obviously being a death doula and uh, working with you, because when I first started working with you, I wasn't 100% sure I was an empath or not. And I was trying to find a name, death, you know, and you and I talked about it, death expert, uh, death witch, and nothing really fit. And then one day I'm like, this is so ridiculous. It's staring, it's staring me in the face, death empath. <laughs> Death doula, I'm an empath, and that's exactly what my work is. Did you question it, the empath part, or by the time you chose it, you were totally fine with being an empath? Yeah, 100% totally fine being an empath because I'd already worked with you for, I don't know, over a year at that point, two years? I can't, I don't remember, but I was a solid, like, yep, no, I'm an empath. This is, this is exactly who I am. It all makes sense now. I know when my when I did my blog name, Diary of an Empath, at the beginning, I hated it. I was so resistant to it, but it was my spirit, like, dropped it into my head, and I knew I had to go that way. So it was, like, the inner pull, like, go this way, and then, like, the, the ego side of me being, like, you don't want to go that way. But over time, I've really come into it, and I'm, I'm just so grateful my spirit knew years ahead of me that I was going to do this work. So your, your naming seems a lot easier, but I know I had a lot of inner resistance. I think the only inner resistance I had, because I did, as you were speaking, there's some memories that came through, um, was the feelings of, will people understand what a death empath is? Because death doula is a new term. You know, people are like, I didn't even know death doulas were a thing. Mm-hmm. And the empath part is still something that we're kind of all learning to like come home to and understand and sit with. Yeah. And that was my only, my, one of my main concerns uh, when I first started was like, are people going to understand that I'm not just a death doula, but I'm also an intuitive who is in the, the death arts, the death work. Would you consider yourself a medium? So I do consider myself a psychic empath because I do have about three or four of the clairs. Mm-hmm. Um, psychic empath was hard to swallow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that one I was like, oh, that sounds so woo-woo. But I mean, it's exactly how I work. When I'm got, going through a guidance call with someone I actually channel, I get these like visual downloads and colors. And so I that's something that I'm still coming to terms with. I, I think it's awesome. Like I look out and I think of change as like a ripple effect. Like each of us changes within and then goes into the world and therefore the world itself changes and mediumship or psychics intuitives it's been so fringe and it's coming into the mainstream but I love the way it's coming in through embodiment you're a Taurus I'm a Taurus so we really get this idea of embodiment actually being these things that we talk about and owning these things and so the more like you own it and the more I own it the more society can own it so thank you for doing that bridging work it just feels so natural right Mm -hmm. because being like you said being a Taurus it's 
I don't know if we can be any other way. <laughs> we're just, you know, um, that we're just, that's just exactly kind of how we see the world. It's kind of like our framework. But I also feel like it's an ancient wisdom mm-hmm. versus like a new age approach. It's like we're just coming back to our knowing and understanding that we've had for thousands of years, our ancestors work. Like we're coming home mm-hmm. to something that was taken from us a long time ago. You have a lot of eighth house in your chart, Scorpio energy. I do. It's my, so it's my ascending. Ah, so like Scorpio eighth house for someone listening, it's all about death, rebirth, but it's also about inherited wounds. So a lot of people who have eighth house do a lot of this work around the wounds, psychics and healers and broader skilled women have taken on internalized and need to move through for the world to move forward so I think that resonates yeah I think of you in that way of of the death part for sure but also just because you brought it up the the inherited wounds that we carry that it's our work to cut from our bloodlines and our our world so that they don't go forward no yeah I definitely think I'm here to break some cycles and (laughs) to heal some major wounds so that resonates so deeply is there one like a big wound that stands out most for you uh one you and I really worked through was the persecution wound that one was heavy Mm -hmm. I remember in one of our coaching calls the persecution wound came up I was sitting at an Airbnb I was in the middle of like my transition my death rebirth can't exactly remember what we were talking about I just remember it being like persecution wound was so strong Mm -hmm. I think you and I were just in that space I think the energetically a lot of us were kind of going through that because our because our work needed to be birthed and it was like that final the last trimester of our Mm -hmm. work and we're like "Uh, I don't want to show up in the world because I'm going to get persecuted I'm going to get burned at the stake I'm going to get stoned to death Um, what other visuals that I get do you get got, visuals or do you get feelings around that stuff yeah I get very distinct um, past life visuals they almost feel and they're incredibly vivid but yeah um I was in and at one point I think it was like close to like 80 years old and I was stoned to death after being this well-known high priestess for my people like I was mm-hmm revered and then there is a shift and change in regime and next thing I know I'm being stoned to death then there's the being trapped in a box and buried alive and then there's the being actually watching uh, my children be burned at the stake very very strong visuals yeah I know for me it comes as a a feeling like a noose around my neck for the longest time I couldn't lay on my back and especially when I started to birth my work and show up talking about energy and empaths but then the more I learned about persecution and I I healed it mainly through a podcast like having a podcast healed it for me or or began to heal it still comes up but I haven't felt that noose feeling but I've Mm. I've had um I keep getting this visual and I've had it since I can remember but I'm walking down this forest path and I'm looking through the trees and I'm, I'm hearing screams and I'm seeing fire. And I, I associate it very much with Salem and the Salem witch trials. So I don't know Ooh. if I'm looking at it 
like how it's really manifesting because I also remember and have I've had names come up early in this journey of of different names that would pop into my head and I would go research the name and it would be a woman who was burned which I thought was super interesting and yeah heavy stuff I'm getting like full body not just chilled but super creeped out like yeah like I kind of want to throw up a little bit yeah that's how it feels oh yeah and I think people carry it uh creatives who don't have like sisterhood or people who can talk about it with they carry it and it I mean if you feel that of course you're not going to want to show up and do your work you might have the best intentions to start a blog or start a podcast or whatever your work might be but if you're feeling those things you're not going to do it yeah you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I still, to this day, your, your podcast, the episode on persecution wounds um, also helped me through a lot of that as well. Um, but my recent feelings of being trapped, that's new. Mm. And it just happened January of this year. I'm not claustrophobic. I don't have any kind of issues uh, prior to January of feeling weird about being trapped or in enclosed spaces, but I had a full-blown panic attack on a flight. And it was only an hour and a half flight, thank goodness, because I wanted to jump out of the plane. And ever since then, even like going to those um, where you drive in to get your car washed and you like stay in your car, Mm -hmm. I'm now getting panic attacks around that. So it's like these feelings of not wanting to be trapped. Like I was buried alive and that's probably one of the um, most difficult things to experience have you gone into that past life not yet because it's it's just started coming through do you have supports for past life work you know it's really interesting that you're bringing that up I have a friend coming from Los Angeles California and she's going to do a full past life reading on me so good (laughs) yeah Many lives, many masters. Have you read that I love. Book? Yes, I have it on audio, audiobook. That was like my first spiritual book, and it introduces you real quick to past lives and and everything involved. But without that knowledge, there's no way I would be at this point. I wouldn't be showing up in this way had I not learned about past lives and and how we carry those wounds. But I want to steer us towards death work because I know there's people who are listening who are interested in death work. I I tagged someone or I introduced you. I don't know if you got it on Instagram, but someone was in my world and I pointed them over to your world around death work. So if someone's listening has never heard about death work, how would you describe it? Being a death doula is just like you're just a guide. You're an end of life guide and an advocate. So we're there to hold emotional support. We do all the non-medical stuff. So that's the death doula side. Mm -hmm. And then death work in general is just bringing back this lost cycle to our lives. And I think death is life affirming. And I think death work is life affirming, meaning death helps you understand what's sacred. Death is a rite of passage. Getting old is a rite of passage. And it's more about bringing my work and death work is more about bringing sacredness and ritual back to death. It's a combination of being a death guide 
and then also helping teach the sacredness of passing away and dying and why it's so important to live your biggest selves and not to settle because we have this kind of blind faith that we're all going to get to get old Mm -hmm. and age and we think that we're in part of this like timeline that oh yeah I'm gonna make it to 80 so I don't have to worry about that thing and I can travel when I have time and we get so caught up in the doing and the working that we don't realize some of us don't even make it to 40 or 50. Little kids die, teenagers die and the statistics the percentage of us actually make it to say like 80, 90 years old isn't high. That's what death work is for me. It's bringing back the part of the cycle of our life cycles that's kind of missing. I remember when you you had this aha and you said, I can see in the dark. And that to me was so powerful to watch you to come into that. For backstory, for the people listening, we were on a call. It was a coaching call. I was coaching you, but it, it was the day my dog died. Do you remember that? last November. And you had helped me up until that point around my dog's death. And to me, I love animals more than I love people. And I love people, but like, I really love animals. And I had known her death was coming for a long time. And you talked about pre-death or pre-death grief on your Instagram stories that I might want to loop back to. But I definitely went through that for about a year because she was really, really sick. And then she died. And the way you held me energetically through that moment, I, you, you alchemized death for me. You were able to help me connect with her in spirit afterwards. But something happened being in your energy. I was able to see death differently. I'm the same. I'm much more bonded and connected to animals and people I'm very bonded and, and connected to people as well but animals they feel like they're from here you know they feel very mm-hmm. earthbound very like they're they're exist they're these avatars on this earth plane that just kind of get it they're not really struggling through the whole thing like we're like just kind of constantly stumbling through this whole existence and they're just like man just chill it's okay be present you guys are worried about weird things so <laughs> I have like this total bond with animals too and I can I sense yours as well and so I relived that moment with you and I think at that point I was still on the fence and questioning myself as being like the channel for this work and when it comes to animals I've always been able to very easily go into that space and create that openness and that nurturing and that support and what I call illuminating the dark because I'm not I'm not afraid of going there and that's like one of those places that a lot of people feel like they can't fully express their sadness and their sorrow for these little animal entities that are around us and have helped make this place a little easier for us. And I'm there just kind of opening that container up and um, thank you. Beautiful to re-experience that through your, through your eyes. I think another thing that you really embody or you did for me in that moment was you taught me that it was, safe to lean into the death because up until that point I was doing everything to fight it up until that point anytime a human would die I would run like I didn't go to funerals I didn't go to wakes I was so just like death I'm gonna stay away from this but I knew I couldn't do that 
with my dog. I knew I needed to be there through the process. And I wasn't there for her physical death, but like leading up to it, I needed to be there. I needed to stay in the room. And being around you made it safe for me to do that. I mean, it made it safe for me to, to be able to be there with all of the emotions and all of the pain. Like there, I don't know if there's any pain as much as losing someone you love, but like just sitting there and being like, this is super scary and I hate this and I don't want to be in this, but it's really important that I, I hold space with her. And for me, it was energetically, but I, I, I have you to credit for that because I think there would be a lot of regret had I not, had I run from it, had I not leaned in and said, I, I, I can do this. I got this beautiful visual right now. It's a skeleton, right? The Grim Reaper. And it's a little kid and they're trying to shield their eyes. And it's like this, it's dark, but something's happening. They're shielding their eyes, that they're covering their face. And death goes, open your eyes, just wait. I know it hurts right now, but just watch. And then the sky illuminates and it's like this cosmic universe meteor shower happening. And that's how death is. Leading up to it, it's so scary because it's all the feelings and the unknown and the anxiety. But the person who's actually passing is trying to leave you with the gift of knowing the veil, Mm -hmm. right? It's almost looks like the Northern Lights. Like it's, it's just this very special moment energetically that happens in our bodies when we're so connected with someone who's actually passing because that's the closest you're going to get to the other side. So you get to see the portal open in that moment. You get to be a part of the portal. You get to be in the know with them and like exchange energy and say all the things you need to say. And then it's a gift. They leave you with that gift of the, they're okay. They're ready to transition. They're not leaving with this physical pain and sorrow. They have a new energy to them. You know how animals teach us lessons or everyone teaches us lessons, but animals especially are here to to support us in our lessons. And I know with, with my dog, it was very much about not fearing the dark, not fearing the the emotions of it. Like I could handle the emotions. I was... I was brave and I was courageous and I was resourceful and I could do it and I could face something that was really, really, really scary, which I think death across the board is really scary based on the way we've been brought up in it. What are your experiences? Like, have you ever had, you talk about that moment, it's like the Northern Lights, but have you had any experiences that you'd want to share around that moment that might support someone listening? When we really start to lean in to the energy and lean in into our own knowing and the intuitive aspects of death, you'll start bonding with the person who's actually actually passing in a very different way, in a very special way. And in that space, they'll be able to communicate with you and let you know that they're okay. That's the gift that I want everyone to kind of get. That's why I'm you know, I tried to help people be in the room. I tried to help guide them into that space energetically, physically, even past, like let's go into ceremony with them to create that for them, that gift so that they know their person, their loved one, that someone is, they're okay in their transition, that it's a part of life. Why do you think, or why do you know, you might know this answer, we've come to fear death so much. 
I think it, it helps us be more productive to be honest, like not, you know, uh, having death anxiety is, is an, an actual real thing that a lot of people experience the unknown, the, whether you have a belief system in place or not, there's still that every once in a while you question your reality and what happens after this. So it's a lot easier to be distracted mm. um, in work, in the doings of everything and not having to have those moments of like, oh my God, I'm going to die. There are a lot of theories and there are a lot of books that say different things about after certain wars and the gore of things. And I just feel like it became easier for us to not have to face certain things. And for a lot of people, our society was very difficult, like in the turn of the century, right? Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of death and death was like a normal part of life. You had the whole Edwardian Victorian era of, you know, wearing people's teeth as jewelry and taking postmortem photographs and being in black mourning attire for a whole year and really letting people know that you're, you're in grief and you're suffering. And somewhere along the line, it just became easier for us to be more productive, to not have to let our grief get in the way, let our sadness, our sorrow get in the way. And I, I don't exactly know when that shift happened. I just know that it did. It was always alarming to me in high school when I was thinking about my dog dying because I, I think this conversation wants to go into like the pre-death grieving because I keep circling back to it. But I remember thinking about and worrying about her dying when she was a puppy. And I was like, the day I lose you, I won't be able to handle it. And I was thinking that I wouldn't be able to take a day off school if that was to happen that there was no space for me to be sad about that. And I was just like, we need to be able to, to grieve our animals, especially as empaths. Most of us are more drawn to animals. And where we could grieve people, we couldn't grieve animals. But even people and the grieving of people, it's like my best friend died when I was 23, I think. And you get a week. You know, you get a week of people being like, well, you must be hurting or like understanding your behaviors that they're probably because you're hurting. And then after that, you're meant to come back into the world and, and be quote unquote productive. So I kind of want to talk to you about the grief cycle and especially this pre-grief stuff. Can you take me into that? Yeah. So it's um, called anticipatory grief, <laughs> the technical term, but I love that you're saying pre-grief because it does especially as empaths, because we can, you know, see things in a way that a lot of people can't. And I look at my animals all the time and like, I think I have five years with you tops, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's that I'm going to have a really hard time when you pass away. And the pre-grief is what I like to call their own, like you're living through, you're going through multiple living deaths. And this can happen with animals and with people whether it's just having the death anxiety around them possibly dying or say, for instance, they have an illness. And this, again, for people, they can be terminally ill or chronically ill and you're just experiencing a living death time after time after time with something or someone. The pre-grief the pre can be life-affirming where you're just looking at your puppy and going, if you die, I won't get the time off, but I'm going to appreciate you while I have you. There's that. And then I want to kind of really go into how we don't get enough time to grieve. 
-hmm. we don't get enough time to pre-grieve to grieve (laughs) to because it happens is the cycle of grief is more like a roller coaster ride that goes forwards backwards and all of a sudden like goes off the track all all together I think that also adds to anxiety is knowing that we're not going to be allowed to fully grieve for however long we need and then that people won't understand like you said after about a week people are like oh you're not okay and you're like, my best friend died. I don't know what part of that you don't understand. My whole world doesn't make sense right now. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take me some time to get back into some sort of new normal. But everything changes. Routines. You still try to pick up the phone and call them. It's your, your memories of them are crashing with the idea of them being dead. And so that takes time to process. And so grief typically doesn't really start settling in until like weeks after the actual death. I found when my dog died, it was very much, it was overwhelming, like couldn't handle, I couldn't even sleep in the same bed as my partner at the time. I just couldn't be near people. I couldn't be like touched. I couldn't even like hear someone breathe. It was really intense. And I just laid on the couch for, I don't maybe like three days of just couldn't function. I had YouTube videos, like vloggers in the background, just zoned, couldn't function, sleeping and then zoning. And then I noticed about maybe three, four, five days, I had five minutes where I didn't feel like that. I could get up and make a snack. And then I would go back to the coach and and sleep and, and zone. And then a couple of days later, it was like, 10 minutes I'm like oh like I feel okay for 10 minutes and then as that would build up I would be like okay I'm in these crashing moments these moments of like I cannot breathe I can't handle this I don't know what I'm going to do I remember the tears they just didn't stop and I didn't know how to stop them I'm like I'm just going to let them go I, I can't stop these but I would be like I'm going to feel okay for a little bit in a couple minutes if I just move through this and then over time it's like a month later and you look back and you're like I don't feel as devastated but then you're living your life and then you have these moments where it hits you all again and you can't function and you can't breathe and they still happen like it's been a year and I still have moments where I I just can't breathe and that's the only way I can describe it it's just like but it's quick but it happens. Is that normal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the pain never goes away. You just learn the rhythms of it. Mm-hmm. You just learn the rhythms of your grief. And like you said, you can feel it about to come on and you know how long it's going to last. And that's really what it is because it does come on in waves. And that's why I always say it's like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. It's not this like clean cycle of like, this is what you go through first. And then the next thing it's like, no, it's with you always, you don't know when it's going to hit. It's, um, I recently talked about death anniversaries and how like your body just knows. So you could be also experiencing it's coming near to her death anniversary. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the season starts to shift, cause you had already known that she was passing for some time. She was actively passing for some time. So all that is involved and that's absolutely normal. And we just learn to, to manage the hurt. We just learn to understand it. Do you have any 
tools like I'm a big tool person and I like to have my tools I can reach to but do you have any tools or coping mechanisms for someone who might be in it whether that's an animal or like a parent or a child yeah I do um specifically for pets I think the biggest thing is uh the guilt there are two things is guilt and shame the guilt of say like you if you had to put your your pet down Mm -hmm. and not knowing whether or not it was the right timing or not catching an illness in time. So there's a lot of guilt around pets because we're their guardians. And then the shame of it is where you can't fully express how you're really feeling because some people will be dismissive. Mm -hmm. So the very first thing I always say is allow yourself to feel everything that's coming up. Like don't hold anything back. Don't, don't try to put it in a nice container organize just just let yourself feel it all scream yell feel nothing throw things in a safe way I'm, I'm always all for just like let yourself purge let yourself go through the cleansing part of feeling all your emotions so that the ones that are kind of lingering those are the ones that are going to start guiding you through your grief through the process so that's the first tool and I always have like you know my my google docs that I send people like on what to expect especially with animals, because they're so energetically tied to this space, we typically will see them quite frequently. They'll visit us in dreams. We'll catch glimpses of them. Um, We'll hear like if they had a collar, we'll hear their like collar shaking. Uh, And that can happen for months. And if not years, depending on how bonded you are to them. And then um, normal routines. I'm always like, just keep up your normal routines. You know, if you were feeding them every morning, getting up at a certain time, still do that. And then just create a ritual out of it and just say, just make it now a act of service where you're like, I'm still feeding you because I'm honoring you and honoring your passing and my grief at the same time. So everything starts becoming something that's goes from just being painful to also painful and comfort, painful, painful and nurturing. And it puts you into actionable like steps in your grief. But those are the biggest things right in the beginning of losing something like a pet or even a person. And then um, I'm always saying like, find a safe place or a safe person to talk to about your feelings. Someone that, you know, gets you, understands you, that's not going to be dismissive and say something horrible. Like it was just a dog. Oh, mm-hmm. But find someone who's safe, who completely understands that's going to be able to hold space for you and allow you to fully grieve without judged, without feeling like you're being judged or criticized for the amount of um, pain that you're in. And um, it's a process. Really understand that we all have our own timing with grief. It is a total individual process. If it's been a year and you're still grieving your dog, that is so normal. You're going to be, you're going to be grieving her for the rest of your life. Yeah. So it's grief is normal. Grief is a part of life. Grief is sacred. Grief should be honored. When you brought up like it's just a dog, the amount of times I've heard that and I'm like, oh, but she's not. And I think what I think about empaths, because there's empaths listening here, is energetically we can feel. I don't know what it is. I know with my dog, it's like. I could kind of feel like I could feel as it was coming up that she was telling me like, okay, I've been here with you this long and now it's time for you to go on your 
oh, I'm like going to cry. <laughs> this will definitely stay in the podcast episode. But it was like, now it's time for you to go forward without me. Like you don't need me anymore physically. And I think that's really scary. And I knew, I knew it was time because it was all happening. Like animals have divine timing. Everyone has divine timing, but animals are so tuned in. They know when it's their time to go. They know when it's going to best serve their journey and their healing and our journey and our healing. And for me, it was like this huge transition. I was moving to Montreal. I was starting a new relationship. My work was changing in dramatic ways. And it was all of this change. And my dog was saying, you're ready. And I didn't feel ready for everything. There's just this connection that happens. And so it's not just the death. It's everything that death encompasses. I think she's even saying things like, if I didn't have to go, I wouldn't. But yeah. you, you can do this. Animals just very, they, they're so in tune. They, they do something that I call death nesting. And since I'm familiar with what they do, it's, it's easier for me to like understand when they're actually passing. And they usually prepare for a few months. So you saying that you were getting these like feelings of like it's it's approaching, I'm not surprised. Um, you either will get like dreams of of just the anxiety of losing them, and you wake up suddenly and try to check on them or make sure they are where they are. And a year before she died, we were just playing in the kitchen, and she stopped and she stared at me in the eyes, and I just knew we connected in that moment, and I knew she was saying. This is the start of the end. And to hold that as a sensitive person, to know that, like, you know, you've had this connection, this animal, she's, she's transitioning out. And I know for me, a lot of the people around me were saying, like, she's a healthy dog. Like, she's not dying. And I knew very deeply that she was dying and she was sick and she needed support. And just to be dismissed, I am really glad that you you spoke to that dismissing part because I think it speaks to my work around how important it is for us to have self-trust because it's not just about us. It's about those we're here to, to protect and nurture and care for. I want to take this conversation, the idea of death to our personal deaths and the deaths that we experience. You call them identity deaths, I believe. Yeah, so their um, identity de- deaths go under the category of living deaths or, or energetic deaths. But I love the term a living death. And we will experience many living deaths in our lifetime. Do you want to speak to yours? The one we, before we got on this call, just to give the listener background. Jess has been in my world and I've been in Jess's world for, I want to say two years now. And she came in when she was very much in corporate world. She was a quote unquote boss babe, business owner. Is that how you would define yourself? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like that's yes. the energy. Yeah. And totally. she could feel like her spirit being like time to do your work, like your life's work, the work you're here to do. And so she came into my world and our coaching together was a lot of this unraveling and coming into her spirit and her spirit's work which involved, Jess, you can speak to it, but like two years of dying, dying of the old you to to allow the new you to emerge. So do you want to speak yeah. to that? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of just stepping into all that, <laughs> that energy of everything and that definite, definite boss babe vibe. And um, yeah, two years. It was two years of not just dying spiritually multiple times, but also my body started breaking down. Mm-hmm. When you and I first started doing our sessions, I was in the beginnings of being sick and chronically ill and not knowing exactly what was wrong with me, but knowing that uh, something was definitely wrong and continuing to stay in corporate. Uh, I think one of your teachings, and I want to say maybe this is in your journaling course or something, it talks about how the universe teaches us. And I've always taken that to heart where it's like, you either learn with a feather or you learn with a sledgehammer. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like gentle nudges or straight, just like complete destruction, like Kali coming in and just destroying it all. Um, I so love yeah, Kali. I, I love, I love her. Kali. Oh my God. She came to me one time, like I was like about to fall asleep and all of a sudden I got this like visual of her and I was like, no, 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 please. No, no, I got this. No, I'm, trust me. Trust me. I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll let go of my job. I'll let go of my job. <laughs> Don't destroy everything. Um, yeah. I love her too. And uh, she didn't destroy it in the way that I thought she was going to. But going back, I um, was really sick. And I was so sick that I was having these like stroke-like symptoms, these stroke-like headaches where I couldn't, I'd go blind. I would lose ability to speak uh, coherent sentences. And at one point I couldn't walk and it was really scary. And so I was seeing neurologists and immunologists and I finally figured out I was exposed to mold. And so I had mold toxicity and mold sickness and burnout and invasive streptococcus. So my immune system had been so lowered that I also at some point got strep and it went past my defenses and became invasive streptococcus. So here I am (laughs) uh, a year ago, pretty much like right now, a year ago today. And I am at the worst. I'm, I'm at the worst I've ever been. I'm going into the ER, into the ER multiple times a month. I'm getting um, IVs with tramadol for pain management. I'm doing hydrocodone and, and it's all just to maintain my workflow. I am doing all of this to maintain my career as an event planner. And then at some point last year in June, I finished one of my largest events it was for about a thousand people and it's half a million dollar event, this gala. And I'm getting yelled at by my client's wife. <laughs> you know, she's, she's holding my arm, just like screaming in my face. And then I just got this moment of like, you're willing to die for events. <laughs> like this mm. higher version of myself came through and I'm just like staring at this lady. And then, you know, like in the movies, like everything mutes out and you just hear the, like, the person's internal dialogue. And my internal dialogue was like, you're so insane that you're willing to sacrifice your life to be an event planner, to like do events for other people. Yet, you know, full well that you've been called to do this greater work. And then spirit comes through in a way saying, I've been keeping you alive just barely. So in hopes that you're going to realize that you're meant to be on another path. It took me another few months to, to fully let go. And that's, this was, again, interesting timing, January, same time of feeling of being buried alive. <laughs> um, I finally sent out an email to all my clients to let them know I had been sick for about two, three years and that um, I couldn't do the work anymore. 
And with the whole pandemic that happened, two weeks later, we got the not no the order of no events. Mm-hmm. We can't do any of any in-person events anymore. So it was just like perfect timing. But I died so many different ways in that two to three year period because I was so connected to the identity of success mm-hmm. that as I mean when you're an empath you're an empath I was an empath since I was little I was weird I was different I was off I always was connected to death and dying and the rituals around it since I was little but I wanted to prove myself in society that I could be a successful entrepreneur that I could be this badass boss babe and I did it and I was so so not connected. It was worse. (laughs) Addicted. I was so addicted to the identity of that, the being a workaholic, the, the distraction of that kind of work and not having to cope with the things that were going on in my life at the time. Mm -hmm. And also with, you know, I had chronic depression at that time for 20 plus years. And so having this all consuming work and being sick, gave no room for me to have to think about anything but that. So losing that identity was like ripping myself into pieces. Like, you know, like when people talk about shedding a layer, oh, I I had to shed that part of myself. This was not a, this was not an easy shedding. I was like pulling myself apart and um, forcefully trying to like take this, this version of myself off and um, really, having who I am now come through. And uh, you and I were on most of those sessions where I was constantly fighting it. (laughs) You're like trying to guide me into, well, Jess, how do you feel in your very beautiful nurturing way? And I'm just like, well, you know, I still feel like I need to do this work. Like I have to do it and stay in corporate and how else am I going to make money? And you're like, you need to just trust that your calling is elsewhere. (laughs) But it was, it was a struggle. I mean, it's the community that I have, but the people who come into this world who are listening to my podcast, they're not often meant for corporate or traditional work. They're meant to do something different and to let go, to die to to that world, the world of approval, the world of, of normal. I know for me, it was like, if I start a blog talking about empaths, I'm going to be made fun of. I'm going to be judged. I have to prove myself. Tell me if you relate to this, but in the first, I would say a year of starting my my blog and exiting out of social work, there was days where I would just cry because I wanted to be normal. And my spirit was like, you're not normal. You're very different. And we need you to go this way. And I was like, but I just want, I want that security. I want the, the normalcy. I want to be able to tell people what I do at dinner, the Christmas dinner. It was a death of all that. It was a death of connection for a long time. When my brothers and sisters around the table were saying, you know, this is what I do. And they were getting like the high fives from my grandparents and like the, oh, you're so responsible and like whatever that might be. And then I was there the one who was doing things differently, like, ooh, Robin, she has she has a blog. <laughs> and like that energy, right? <laughs> yes. 
and like not oh. being able to be so honest with people like the 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 family especially like close family but community of like I talk about energy I'm very tuned in to to energetics I help people psychically I couldn't share that and so I I downplayed myself a lot to be like oh I'm a writer they'd be like what are you writing about stuff <laughs> you know and like I wasn't able to to really own and if you don't own it I mean there's so much energetics to that but like you had to to die I mean I had to die so many deaths just like I think about Christmas dinner on that table like pr- approval connection like what are some of the deaths you had to undergo oh man um I think one of the biggest deaths I had to undergo was the approval was definitely a big one but working at something giving it everything you had and realizing oh yeah this isn't it Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't even know what word to use but it's something that I thought was going to make everything better and in reality it didn't it didn't I come from a different background, not a lot of means, and I'm a person of color. And so I had all these things stacked against me. And for me to have made it to this position, I'm this entrepreneur that's doing really well for herself. I do high profile events, I have my own company, mm-hmm. this this whole, again, just that loss of that powerful identity of I'm a role model now. I can go into speaking engagements and that will be my my I'm a person of color and I'm a woman and I you know a sexual abuse survivor and I was chronically depressed for 20 plus years so there's this whole story mm-hmm. this whole person I had built up that I had to pretty much allow to die it was it wasn't it didn't just feel like a part of me it felt like this person I had completely created this persona the death of that persona was the hardest part. And it didn't happen until much later because I had to focus on being sick because I had gotten so sick. I could only focus this last year of really just treatment after treatment, getting better, rest, stillness, slowing down and just allowing myself to let my body guide me into like the next steps of health and healing. And it wasn't until last month when I finally put my 30 days into my office space and I moved everything out. Excuse me. I moved everything out and I'm just sitting there like looking through everything because my office wasn't organized. It was like the last of me trying to hold on to everything. So everything's kind of chaos and a mess and the blankets that I would use to like lay down the floor when I was having just like a really bad episode where I just like have to lay down and sleep for an hour or two and then get right back up to work. Those blankets were still there when I walked through the door. So I had a, I like relived all those final moments of being so sick. I had to just kind of make amends with it. So that was one death and then the death of the persona and then coming back to it now. Now, now I felt the tears Mm -hmm. of, I can't, what am I going to say to people? I'll tell them I'm a death duel. And they're just like, what is that? What do you do? <laughs> My family's just kind of still thinks it's like this weird mystical thing. <laughs> My mom, everyone's like, you're a witch. I was like, no, this is actually a thing. I'm like, okay, yeah, probably. Yes. 
but <laughs> that still works like a real legitimate practice and it's a thing and um all all of it uh so I recently just I was in that the middle of my office it was empty and I was just bawling on the floor and you can see where parts of death empath were already coming through like I had this door that was glass my door had like a glass window and I used glass markers and I'm like writing out all these these quotes and sayings for death work and I have like a whiteboard where I'm just like now starting to really step into it while I was feeling like I was dying so it's just an interesting thing to be in that space of new life because I'm in my rebirth Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm feeling so much better I'm like nearly 100% health-wise I have my bad days and my flare-ups and then being in my space where I was very much dying you feel completely different the dress I see and feel now she's nothing like who I met two years ago and there's a big garbage truck it's garbage day here and there's a garbage truck going by and I always love the the symbolism of external to internal and it really involved you like clearing out the old you had to go through that process we don't leave I I, homes and home symbolism is big for me but it's like you don't leave a house without first packing it all up and like getting rid of stuff that's no longer you and going through the the memories and and then you get to that new space your new house so it's a process and I think we don't well we don't talk about death as you know that's what you're here for but we don't talk about the death of, of what it takes to do your purposeful work. And I think a lot of people are going to benefit from knowing that you're going to have, you might have like the Instagram handle and you might be showing up and you might have the certifications, but in behind you're bawling on the floor because it requires you not be who you were. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's so big and it's so full of emotions is there anything you didn't expect in this transition um well I didn't expect for this to totally be my calling like I I had a feeling and once I stepped into it I was like oh my god I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be this feels amazing yeah (laughs) um the full just embodiment and alignment of this work and something I've probably done for multiple lifetimes and it's in my blood and my ancestral line and so I didn't, that was such a surprising um, thing. And also how, how I've been received, mm-hmm. how people have just been so supportive and loving in my work. And um, because my whole goal is I'm like wanting to build a community where we can just discuss these things openly without feeling any judgment or criticism that we can literally talk about all the ugly, scary, dark things that you can't just go and have a conversation with anyone about mm-hmm. I mean if you run across me please yes <laughs> I'm not a fan of small talk but if you want to talk anything death work I'm all for it <laughs> isn't um, it amazing though like I often think about that of not being a fan of small talk but like going so deep on the things we're passionate about <laughs> and like like I'm like anyone like please come talk to me about your soul's purpose that's what I want to be talking about, the things you're here to do. And for you, it's like death. I want to talk about death. <laughs> death, <laughs> sadness, grieving, anything that hurts you. I, it's funny because my husband's always making fun of me, um, whether new books are coming in the mail or 
<laughs> I'll start have, having a conversation with him. And he's like, can we not? Can we just, <laughs> can we just not? I'm trying to enjoy my dinner. I didn't need to know that story. <laughs> I get that too. My partner will be like, I don't need to know the symbolism of the bird landing on the telephone with the robin. <laughs> I'm like, but there's so much, like you don't understand. <laughs> Oh, that's, uh, that our partners, but they're, but they're, you know, what's amazing about them is that they're supportive. Although yes. it's not a hundred percent for them. My husband's so supportive of my work. And he's just like, he's like, knows that this, he knows he's like, this is your life's work. This is your calling. Like he even says, it's beautiful to see me actually step into it. Um, and he was pushing, trying to push me out of that corporate world for a long time. He's actually very intuitive himself. Just isn't really leaning into it, nor does he want to, because I think he just, he's like, I got you. I don't need to do it too. <laughs> it's good to have a grounded partner. Yes. Someone in the real world. How do you manage your energy? As you were talking about like the conversation of death, like it comes very naturally to you. So it may not weigh you down the way it would weigh down someone who doesn't have that affinity. But if you're talking about death all the time and you're in death all the time, how do you, how do you care for yourself? Death is re-energizing for me. And uh, you mentioned human design, right? Rubina, the gray muse, I did her whole like thing. And so I'm also a projector. I'm a self-projected projector. So I cannot ex- expend too much energy. I can't do a whole lot of output. But what I can do is I can pull energy from different sources. But in the beginning, when I was doing my corporate work, and you know this, I was terrible at protecting my energy. I didn't know where it was coming from. I wasn't an empowered empath, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff that you teach is like how to like protect your space and how to clear it. And so I was doing a lot of those practices in the beginning. And what I realized was was very draining was when I would go into guidance calls with people because I didn't know how to open up channel with them yet. Like I knew I would get downloads from them. All of a sudden I'm like wearing something interesting. I'm like, Oh, this person's guiding me to wear this yellow shirt right now. I don't know why, but so I would just allow that kind of flow and that exchange to happen. But what I didn't anticipate is that in the beginning I had a lot of energetic energy workers, which is, um, you know, being called to my, to, to work with me, to do guidance calls. And man, when I would like jump on a call with them, all of a sudden I'm dealing with energy bodies and entities and I would feel exhausted I have a very uh I remember one so clearly that uh there were like 12 people whether Mm -hmm. they were her guides or whatever they were but I was energetically done for about three days it took me three Mm -hmm. days to recover so now I'm I don't do as many guidance calls as I used to because I'm kind of reorganizing my work and I've been obsessed with reels on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm, an, I'm a creative and you know this, you're mm-hmm. creative as well. Uh, and I realized like that was missing in my life, like bringing back the performing arts aspects of myself. And uh, so I'm not doing as many guidance calls, but I first started off with all the crystals in the house, right? All the selenite and mm-hmm. all the protection stones. And now I've become really good at grounding my energy. I rest as much as I put out, I have to rest the equal amount. Mm-hmm. I take a new moon and full moon a ritual bath to help really cleanse my energy. I will tap into my animals energy. Mm-hmm. So uh, each I have three I have three pets at the moment and each one has a different energy to them. So I have my familiar, which is which is Pierre, and his energy is very 
starseed, very universal, very like interdimensional time jumping kind of thing. So if I wanted to kind of go into like an astral place, I'll use his energy. If I want to be grounded, I'll use Oliver, who is a very earthbound cat. And then mm-hmm. I have Gaston, who's my empath. Gaston's like an, also an empath, is very it's perfect for the work that I do. He's very supportive and nurturing. So it just kind of depends on where my energy is. And like, do I need a ground? Do I need nurturing and support? Do I need to go into like an astral space to meditate and like find where I'm holding on to like emotions? Um, and then I move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you're a dancer too. So you totally understand this. I feel like dancing was my first language my first way to fully express my like grief and my sadness. And so I've now brought that into my work and saw that. Yeah. Dance your feelings out and it's so healing. So I'll do those things to really protect my energy. Um, cause the dancing is revitalizing. Do you ever notice about your animals after like a heavy call or something? Do they yawn? I'm trying to think the last really heavy call I had. No, what they do is they get amped up. The yawning, no. I mean, Never Gaston noticed. will. Never notice. Now I'm going to have to look at him and be like, are you yawning right now? If you're a listener, what I found, well, actually I was told this by an intuitive, is animals yawn to clear your energy. Ooh. And I am always noticing my cat. I haven't noticed it on my new bunny yet, but my cat, and my dog, I would go up to them after doing something really heavy. So like leading a call, not like heavy in the sense, you know, I don't want to do it, but like heavy, like this work is heavy, energetic work is heavy. And I would go and I would lay next to her. She would come next to me, both of them, and they would yawn. And I will just say like, thank you, like very intuitively. And then I was talking to an intuitive and they're like, yeah, when, when they're yawning, they're clearing you. Oh my gosh. Mm. I'm just thinking, you know, they're just stretching. <laughs> now I know. Now I know. Yeah, because they're usually in the room with me during calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's Gaston and Oliver right next to me right now. My cat's here too. Did you end up naming your bunny? <laughs> Not yet. I have like a list of names I've been getting. It's the Libra energy of like indecisiveness. But <laughs> I'm taking everyone's ideas and I'm going to have to choose one. Her name will come. She's so happy I've never seen a happier little being she jumps all over the place and I I find she so rabbits are really symbolic of nervousness and like moving through nervous energy and I have some places in my life that I get really nervous um I was in a bad car accident one time so or twice but like one a couple years ago right after my friend had died in in an accident so I have a lot of, of stress from that and nervousness being in the car so I've been trying to work through that. And I find the way she reacts to being nervous. So like rabbits don't like to be picked up and high above the ground. And she'll freak out. And I'm like, I get to parent her around it and be like, you're okay. Like you're safe. And I'm finding I'm using those same tools on myself, on myself in the car. And I mean, Melly, my, my cat, I had a Melly dog and a Melly cat, but Melly cat is vocal. I don't know if you've ever heard her, but she talks nonstop all day long and like meows in like human ways. So she'll be like, oh, like, hello. Mm-hmm. Or like, I'll be like, how are you? She's like, ah. like, good. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I, since meeting her, I've really come into my voice. 
have come into my podcast. So she's helped me in terms of like throat chakra and being vocal. That's amazing. And I have that feeling as a place. So each one of my pets really did help me kind of understand myself and work. But the physical place that I'm in now, because you talked about packing up a house earlier, the physical place, and I wrote a post about this recently was, I've never been a beach person. I've always lived near a beach, but I've like never prioritized going. It just wasn't my thing. But because of the mold sickness, I had to move by the ocean to get salt air because it's in my lungs and to kind of clear all that stuff out. Mm. And this, this space, house, this, the energy in it is so healing and nurturing and supportive of my work. And a wild, random black nightshade plant started growing in my backyard which has a lot to do with like necromancy and Mm. the symbolism of it and so I felt it was like the house's way of telling me that I'm in my I'm doing my work it's really interesting how animals and like nature and places really embody the things that we're trying to we're processing Mm. the things that we're feeling and experiencing and and it's when you start picking up on those the symbolism and the signs and you start realizing like, wow, the universe does have my back. So supported. Mm-hmm. So held. Even during like our conversation being on death, like even in those moments that feel like death, those moments where you're, you're going through a, a living death or a death of a loved one, you're so held. I mean, that's the work of intuitives to really promote that and get that out there and to embody it to to go through those darker moments knowing they're supportive like we're not alone and that's been so evident to me since I was a child and probably the same for you too and I think you have to have faith to make the leap like we were talking about from like your corporate to death work you have to have faith you you can't do that without faith and without yeah. knowing being guided Yeah, I mean, it definitely has a lot to do with just knowing and just being like, okay, (laughs) why am I doing this? I won't know until I get there. (laughs) Like, it it was such a huge leap going from the stable, secure, I could flaunt my, all my accolades in that Mm -hmm. dinner parties. Oh, I'm a high profile event planner. It feels so great. No one's going to be asking all sorts of weird questions. Versus when I tell people I'm a death doula, I get all sorts of questions. (laughs) Either people just kind of look at me and like, nope, nope. Or you get the, like, I swear they pull out like a little notebook of like questions they've been holding on to for like a really long time. Do you uh, fear death and are you afraid of dying? And, you know, do you believe that the spirits stay here? Do you believe in ghosts? I get so many questions. Are you afraid of dying? I personally, no, not my own death. Um, I do still have anxiety around my loved ones passing because I know what to expect, but I'll never be prepared. We're never fully prepared for like the loss of someone. But I have like, the, like we talked about earlier, the pre-grief of, you know, when my mom's going to leave one day, she's going to be gone. My pets are going to be gone. I live with death every day. And so when I do, I notice when I do go to bed, I now have this, feeling of being in the know and I have to sit there and kind of reconcile the very human part of me and the big spiritual expansiveness of being that in-between space, the guide to the veil, the guide to the afterlife, and also understanding like everyone I love will someday die. I love how you spoke to the human self 
Because I think the spirit self knows that everything is okay. It's mm-hmm. all cyclic, happening according to plan. But human and like the human body, we're wired to, to survive. In terms of my work, I think about how leaving a comfort zone. I mean, this episode is going to go live right before Empaths and Business starts. So Empaths and Business, like people who are ready to begin to work towards their soul's work and figure out how to make it their life's work. Like that's a big leap. The leaps we were talking about and, and all the death that comes with that. And so their human self is like, don't go there. That's scary. You know, you're safe here. You're comfortable. You might be incredibly miserable, but you're comfortable. I'll keep you here because I want to keep you quote unquote alive. And what I've noticed, and you can probably speak to as well, is like if you don't make that jump and start to work towards your your life, your life's work, you're going to be made to make that jump because mm-hmm. the death of that old you is inevitable. And so it's like, are you are you going to prolong it or are you going to find that like full energy? Think about the Aries energy we're in as I'm recording this or we're recording this. And the, the, the Aries energy just jumps and is like, I, I'm resourceful. I can move through what comes up at, when I do it. And so do you have anything? Well, one, do you relate to that? And two, because you made that same jump, like you went from corporate, you came into empaths and business world, which was like a complete relearning of who you are and how, how to exist in the world. But what would you say to people who are prolonging the death because they don't want to leave that comfort zone. How did you deal with it? Like, how did you finally jump and be like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm following my soul. You're, you're forced out. <laughs> you're forced. <laughs> you're kicked out of the nest. The universe is like, you're done. Um, it's like the birth canal. It's like the baby comes out. Yeah. yeah. Like you do, it's time. Mm-hmm. And it's, for me, it was that I had gotten so sick that there's no, I had no other option but to mm-hmm. leave my work. I finally got to the place where I was like, like you said, my higher self was like, are you really that one, that one statement, are you really worth dying for someone else's event? Literal, literal, like you are dying. Mm-hmm. Your energetic self is like on negative 10 and you're doing this not for purposeful work. You're doing this for a party. Like really, this is, this is how you want to live your life. This is what you want to do. And I think that was my wake-up call. I had like that major wake-up call moment. And always knowing that gnawing feeling of having a bigger, a greater purpose, something that was more me and in alignment with who I am, a part of me was dead anyway while doing the Mm -hmm. corporate work. So recognizing I was pretty much empty, living off of this persona, but really like not happy inside. That was also something that I had to like fully recognize and go there's more to life right like are we just supposed to be here and exist in this way not even content just like well at least I look good on paper and then now being here in my work and how happy I really am and that I can say I haven't had a depressive episode and I feel like becoming a death doula realizing I was an empath doing shadow work like all the stuff that seems so scary just like death had the most amazing teachings in it 
and the most incredible gifts. I, yeah. I'm just thinking like you're, when you said like you're forced out, it really is that like for, for me, it was when my friend died. That's when I was like, are you going to live your life for someone else? And I had all of these things happening in my life. And it's like, are you going to go and live for someone else? Or are you going to live for yourself? Because this could be over tomorrow. I, it took seeing someone my age, someone I grew up with, someone I had so many memories with, physically dying for me to say, I'm going to live. Yeah, I always say death can help people evolve because it takes a near-death experience or someone you really love dying for you to really look at your life and go, wait a second, what am I doing here? Why am I okay with all this? Like, I'm not happy. Where can people find you? And within your work, I know you mentioned like you had a PDF that you send to people that you're working with, but do you have any resources for anyone who might be going through death, personal or like external? Uh, living or, or grieving a loved one yeah so my ig uh, death empath has a lot of resources on it so you just kind of have to scroll through and then um, i do give out a free death care giving guide so it's kind of like a intro to what being a, a death guide is and a death doula and i also have a, a free grief guide grief guide excuse me and those i don't typically those all like kind of release once every two months mm -hmm. but if anyone dms me for it i'm always like just send me your email and i'll shoot over the pdf version of it you're doing amazing and i i highly recommend if, if anyone's listening who's in it like i was i mean you heard it me crying but i was in that space and having just hold me energetically like on a call through that was I mean, I credit it for, for getting me through that moment. So definitely look into Jess at Death Empath. And yeah, Jess, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. This was amazing. <laughs> I loved it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you resonate with Jess and her energy, you can find her at Death Empath over on Instagram, but also her link is below. And of course, I'm always so grateful for you sharing these episodes, sending them to people who may need them, and for tagging me over on Instagram. I love to see that you're listening. If Empaths and Business is for you, if this is the deep transformational work you need to be putting yourself through in order to step into who you want to be or who you're being called towards, we start, I've been saying very soon, but it's crunch time. We start in three days from now. You can find all the details linked below or at empathsinbusiness.com. If there is one thing I wish that I had when I was undergoing my initial deaths when it came to my purpose, to so the death of the social worker, to emerge as an entrepreneur, was to have sisterhood, to have people who were going through something similar so I didn't feel so alone, which is why groups and the weekly group calls are such a big part of the Empaths and Business program. So you'll have sisterhood, you'll have people walking beside you, going through things that are so similar to you, because we think we're islands, but we're not. We are all a web and we're all interconnected. And when one person goes through something, we can bet there's others going through it too. And there's nothing more healing 
I, I believe to the soul and to know you're not alone. So if sisterhood and going through this work, which is work, it's deep work, but it's important work and it's necessary work, then we look forward to seeing you inside of the course platform. And a final note, if you've been loving these coffee chats, they're not going to end even though EIB is starting. I've been loving them so much, so I've booked a few into the winter time. I'm also closing out this EIB season Thursday with a different kind of coffee chat, one where I sit down with myself and share with you the biggest things that I wish I knew when I was first starting my business. The things that were important to know, the things that had absolutely zero value that I obsessed about and made way bigger than they needed to be, the fears and what to expect with some of the things that really scared me. So that's going to be out on Thursday. So subscribe if not already, and we will talk soon.